0: listening to the Central City Assembly podcast. We're dedicated to creating and sharing content that magnifies and multiplies Jesus for the glory of God and the good of our city and helps you grow in your love for him. Be sure to subscribe and share this podcast with someone who you think will be encouraged by it. Enjoy this episode and may you be filled with the love of God the Father.
1: for you this morning. You ready? Woo! I think every Sunday is a good morning, but this one, it's got a little extra juice to it. Okay. Yeah. All right. Juice. That sounds a little gross. Maybe. Maybe don't use that. I like juice. Okay. Juice is good. It's good to you. <laughs> All right. Uh, everyone loves a good montage. You know what I'm talking about? Everybody loves a good montage, I think. Wouldn't you agree? Um, What is a montage? A a montage is a creative device used in literature and photography and film uh, to help tell the story right? Uh, in movies, a montage is a collection of scenes put together to show some kind of development. Uh, sometimes montages are used to show um, the passage of time or the changing of seasons. Maybe you've seen that before in movies. A montage can also be used to show lengthy character development, uh, but in a short amount of time. And I think uh, that's my favorite kind of montage. uh, Because they usually depict growth uh, and positive transformation of a character, especially when it's the hero of the story. Um, The scenes usually are are epic and they're inspirational, they kind of get you excited, and they oftentimes have a really good song in the background playing at the same time, right? For example, if I start playing this song, don't play it yet, okay? If I start playing this song, you're going to immediately know what movie and what scene of the movie it's from. Okay, you ready for it? Go ahead. How many of you called it? All right, let's let it play a little bit. Let's let it build up some excitement, right? kind of makes you want to stand up and like shadow box and get ready to go, right? All right, go ahead and stop it before I lose everybody, okay? All right, and before YouTube cuts us from playing it, all right, now um, I'm, only, I'm only a little bit ashamed to admit that I've never seen any of the Rocky movies. I know, don't, don't judge me, don't judge me. Um, never seen any of the movies before. Uh, But I have seen this scene, and even if you've never seen the movies before, I know there are a few of you out there, okay? Um, Even if you've never seen the movies before, you've heard this song, you've seen this scene accompanied with the song, um, and it's awesome, right? Um, It's it's a great scene because it starts with with Rocky doing some simple kind of training, and then as the scene goes on, it gets more and more intense, Uh, and the point is to show that he's getting stronger and faster, and more confident, and he's becoming a better fighter. Um, And then at the end of the montage, you just know Rocky's ready to go, right? Uh, Now's the time to be victorious. And guess what? You better believe that while you're watching the Super Bowl today, you're for sure going to see some sports montages of, of each team progressing throughout the season. Um, I bet you you're even going to hear a coach or a, a, a teammate uh, while surrounded by their teammates saying, this is our time, right? <laughs> kind of these cheesy things. This is our moment. This is what we've been training for. Let's go. Okay? Okay. Um, You could probably do a Super Bowl bingo, and at least two of those things are going to get you some points, right? (laughs) Well, everything that we've heard so far in Luke has essentially been a montage of of preparation and character development for the two leading characters of the story so far, um, who are John the Baptist and Jesus. Now, you, you might be shocked that I would say John the Baptist is a leading character, but if you remember from last year in our, our Christmas series, um, we talked about how John the messenger has to come before Jesus, the Messiah. You can't have Christmas without John the Baptist, okay? And, and from chapter one to chapter three, um, where we're gonna hang out today, and you can go ahead and open your Bibles to chapter three of Luke. Um, we've seen about 30 years Of development for John and Jesus. Okay, now we've seen way more of Jesus' development than John's, right? Um, We saw Jesus as a a newborn infant. We've seen Jesus as an eight day old infant in the temple with Simeon and Anna. Last week, we saw Jesus as a 12 year old young man in the temple again, um, and he's all grown, right? He's grown physically, mentally, socially, and spiritually. And then in the, the coming weeks, uh, we'll finally see Jesus as a grown man. Um, we're going to see the end of Jesus's montage, so to speak, as he launches out into ministry. Okay, his moment, his time. All right, but today, as we start uh, chapter three of Luke, we're going to see that this is John's moment, yeah. Okay. Uh, Now is his time to launch out into the world and fulfill his purpose as the prophet, the forerunner, the messenger of the Messiah that was prophesied about him all the way back in chapter one. Uh, Much like Jesus, John has been preparing for about 30 years for this moment. Um, Now, we don't, again, we don't get as many details, as many verses about John's development, John's montage is only one verse long, and it's found all the way back in chapter 1, verse 80, and it says this, uh, and the child, that's not Grogu, that's not baby Yoda, the child, that's John the Baptist there, uh, and the child grew and became strong in spirit. You can kind of hear the dun, 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 right happening in the background. And he was in the wilderness, dun, 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 (laughs) until the day of his public appearance to Israel. And in chapter 3 is where we finally get to see John's moment. All right, church family, what is your moment? Have you already experienced your moment, or are you still waiting for your moment to arrive? And this is a really important thing to consider because I believe that God ordains and he predetermines not just one moment, um, but several moments throughout our, our lives, When he wants to use us for his kingdom purposes or when he wants us to make an important decision or or go a, a certain direction in life that will impact the rest of our lives and ultimately the kingdom of God. I can think of at least two, I know there are more, but at least two really big moments that I've experienced when I knew God was saying, now's the time, this is it, this is the moment I've prepared you for that have led me to where I am today, uh, the day I asked Annette, my wonderful wife, to marry me, that was one of those moments. Um, there was a, a missionary who came to CCA, and, and I had never met this person before, but after they were done speaking and after the service, she was like, I want to pray for you and Annette. And we're like, okay. And so she starts praying for us, and it's all amazing, wonderful things. And then she turns to me and says, you've been waiting for God to give you the go-ahead to do something, and God is saying, now's the time. This is the moment. I was like, Whoa. And right after that, I went to my house and I proposed to Annette in my carport that very day at that moment. Right? Yeah. Um, a, a second moment is when I became the pastor of CCA. That was another really big and meaningful moment. But guess what? I almost missed that moment. I almost missed it. Um, I at first said no when presented with the opportunity, but God worked on my heart, and I'm so thankful that God worked on my heart because, church family, you don't want to miss your moment. Right? You don't want to miss your moment, and it is possible to miss those moments. I think of Cain from Genesis. God comes to Cain. Right After rejecting his sacrifice, and he says, this is a really important moment in your life where you can choose anger or you can choose repentance. And what does Cain do? He chooses anger, and he commits the very first murder in all of history. You can, you can miss your moment. I think about Saul, the first king of Israel who was appointed by God to be the king of Israel, and yet he missed many moments in his life and eventually lost the anointing to be king. Or what about uh, the nation of Israel? They finally get to the promised land, and God says, this is your moment. Right? You've been waiting for this since Abraham. This is it. Go and enter the promised land. And they miss their moment, and they spend 40 years in the wilderness. You can miss your moment but it doesn't have to be that way, amen? Okay, what we're going to see today is that John doesn't miss his meaningful moment. Um, He seizes it, he embraces it, and God works mightily through him. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to learn from John's moment and learn what it takes for us to never miss those really important moments that God has for us. Um, we're we're going to learn uh, how to recognize our moment and also how to ex- or what to expect when we embrace our moments in life. Sound good? And so the title of today's message is Knowing Your Moment. Uh, let's pray one more time and then we'll start reading chapter three. Lord God, you are so good to us. Um, we're in awe of how you constantly move in our lives, and oftentimes we don't see it in the moment, but we can look back and see how, God, you were moving and you were working. Um, Lord, I'm thankful that you do have moments for each of us. God, you, you desire that every single one of us have a, have a good, positive impact on the kingdom of God, your kingdom, in some way or another. And Lord, we pray that you would help us um, today through your word, Be able to recognize those moments and not to miss them. Lord, I pray right now that you would help our church family believe that you have set aside moments for them. God, I pray that you would help us to see every single one of us, no matter our background, no matter how long we've been your followers, you would help us to see that you have moments for each one of us. Help us to believe it. And would you help us to see it and know how to recognize it today, Lord? We thank you. We love you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. All right, are you there? Luke chapter three, go ahead and turn there if you haven't already. Get your physical Bible out, your digital Bible out. When you get there, go ahead and say who you're rooting for for the Super Bowl today. I heard a lot more 49ers. None of these candidates, maybe. All right, here's Luke chapter three. We're gonna start reading. Luke chapter three, verse one, it says this. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate, being governor of Judea, and Herod being Tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip, Tetrarch of the region of Iturea and Trachonitis, and Licinius, Tetrarch of Abilene. During the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. How many of you fell asleep for the first two and a half verses of there? Okay, I'm going to read it again. I'm going to read it again. All right, focus on this. This is really important. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate, being governor of Judea, and Herod, being Tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip, Tetrarch of the region of Itchuria and Trachonitis, and Licinius, Tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. Verse 3. And he went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and his hill shall be made low. Or and hills shall be made low. And the crooked shall become straight and the rough places shall be level ways. And all flesh shall see the salvation of God because Jesus is for everybody. Verse 7, he said, therefore, to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers, aren't you glad I don't talk to you that way? (laughs) You brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath to come, bear fruits in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham. As our father, I've been a Christian my whole life. My parents were Christians. Everybody before me were Christians. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children from Abraham or for Abraham. Even now, the ax is laid to the root of these trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Verse 10. And the crowds asked him, what then shall we do? And he answered them, whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none. And whoever has food is to do likewise. Tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than you are authorized to do. Soldiers also asked him, And we, what shall we do? And he said to them, Do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusations, and be content with your wages. Verse 15. As the people were in expectation So with many other exhortations, not extortions, exhortations, he preached good news to the people. But Herod the Tetrarch, who had been reproved by him for Herodias, his brother's wife, and for all the evil things that Herod had done, added this to them all, that he locked up John in prison. All right, so what I want to do first is take a drink of water. Anybody else fighting sickness and going through it? I'm on the tail end of it, but it's kind of messed with my throat a little bit. Pray for one another. <clears throat> so, what I want to do is I want to look at the finer details of John's moment, just in verses one and two. All right, because uh, Luke is at it again, rooting his writing in real history. Okay, and, and he gives um and he gives us not one, not two, but six specific details to help us understand the times um, and what's happening socially and politically during John's moment. Luke is going to great lengths to assure his readers that all of this is is real history. This really happened, okay? And if we skip over these two verses, like many of us often do, um, we're gonna miss a really important historical moment And the nation of Israel, right? And and we don't want to miss moments, right? We want to seize our moments and see them clearly. And so we first learn that by the time John and Jesus are all grown up, right, 30 years have passed, um, and Caesar Augustus is no longer the Roman emperor, and Tiberius has taken his place, Now, Caesar Augustus is the one, if you remember, who brought about that relative peace to Rome, the the Pax Romana that we talked about a few weeks ago. And Augustus was actually, he was a relatively good man. And he did good things for his his empire and for the people. Um, And he was emperor when both John and Jesus were born. But now that they're adults, Tiberius is in charge. And he was not a good man. Uh, Historians will say that when Tiberius took command, um, that's when the mighty Roman Empire started to fall, and everything went downhill from then. It was the beginning of the end at that moment. And so when John begins his ministry, things are not good politically, socially, and culturally in the Roman world at large. Okay, Luke also tells us about four other rulers um, in the land of Israel specifically. Remember, when John and Jesus were born, uh, Herod the Great uh, was made king over all of Israel. And although Herod wasn't fully Jewish, and although he was a puppet king put in place by the Romans, um, there was relative stability in Israel. Okay, But now that John and Jesus are adults, uh, Herod the Great is gone. He's dead. Um, And we learn that Israel has been divided into four different regions, ruled and governed by four different tetrarchs, which tetrarch means quarter governor, if you ever wondered that. And so two of of Herod the Great's sons were appointed by Rome as two of the tetrarchs. Uh, One is Herod Antipas. So that's who we're talking about in this passage, not Herod the Great, Herod Antipas. uh, And he was the worst ruler of the two. Um, He's given charge over the region of Galilee. We've heard that territory in reading the Gospels before. Uh, He's given territory over a good portion of land around the Jordan River where John ministered. Uh, We learn in this passage, but also later on in Luke, that Herod Antipas is is one of the greatest antagonists of the Gospel. Okay, he eventually murders John. Sorry to ruin the story if you haven't gotten there yet. Um, And he also plots to kill Jesus. All right, another of Herod the Great's sons, Philip, um, is given charge over the northeast region of Israel, known as the Golan Heights, uh, and he was a relatively good man. He was a good ruler. He founded the city of Caesarea Philippi. Maybe you've heard that, that city as well. Um, and that's where he built his, his home. And when we read in the Gospels and we see any time that Jesus wanted to get away with his disciples for some rest and for some peace and quiet, um, they would retreat to Caesarea Philippi because Philip was a good ruler and the land was, was, uh, had relative stability there. Uh, and then the other two of the four regions of Israel, they were ruled by Licinius these are all really good names that you can give your children, okay? We should bring back some of the the Greek names. Um, Licinius, um, he doesn't really play a part anymore in the Gospels. Um, And then Pontius Pilate, who we've all heard before, and we're going to see him again in Luke, especially during Jesus' crucifixion. All right, I know that was a lot of history, okay? But but Luke gives us these details to, to understand the time, But also to give us insight into a really important moment in the history of Israel. Which is that when Jesus and John, they enter the public scene for ministry, there is no king of Israel. No king of Israel. Now all of the Tetrarchs, like Herod Antipas, they they thought of themselves as king. And they would even use that term personally. um, But they were really just puppet governors um, over a portion of Israel. And the Jewish people as a whole, they understood this too, that they didn't really have a king because if you remember, when Jesus is on trial and the Jewish leaders, they want him to be crucified, uh, Pilate turns to them and asks them, shall I crucify your king? And what do they say? They say, we have no king but Caesar, all right? They, they know, they don't actually have a real king in Israel, all right? So hang on to that thought, all right? Everybody say, no king in Israel, good all right next Luke tells us that Annas and Caiaphas are the high priests of Israel Um, this should alarm you just a little bit uh, if you know Old Testament Jewish law because there's only supposed to be one high priest in Israel but Luke tells us there are two and so what's going on with this well um, Annas was a Jewish nationalist Um, He loved his people, he loved his nation, um, and he didn't like taking orders from the Roman Empire, and he didn't. And so, Rome kicked him out of the temple, um, and they eventually replaced him with Caiaphas, who did play by the Roman rules. He was a Roman sympathizer. Um, But also, according to Jewish law, high priests were for life. You couldn't kick a high priest out of the temple. Uh, One person remained the high priest until they died. And so, uh, even though Annas wasn't in a seat of power, the Jewish people still looked to him as their high priest, okay? Um, They never truly accepted Caiaphas as their high priest. And so, Caiaphas would interact with Rome, um, but the the Jews would interact with Annas. And so, um, there were essentially two high priests in power, which goes against Jewish law. All right, you ready? This is really cool. Um, This is a really important moment. Check out God's timing again. There's no true king in Israel. There's no true high priest in Israel, and that's the exact time Jesus, the true king of kings, and our great high priest enters the scene. This is incredible, church family, right? Um, It's as if God, in preparation for his son Jesus, cleared the stage of both earthly uh, kings and priests so that his son could replace them all at this exact moment. God's timing is perfect. And and what we see in verse 3 is that John is out in the wilderness. He's preparing, right? He's waiting for his moment. And then it says he receives a revelation from God. Now, Luke doesn't go into details explicitly saying what this revelation was, but I'm guessing that God revealed to John, opened his eyes to what was happening politically and culturally, that there was no king in Israel, no real priest in Israel in the promised land, and God said, it's go time, John. This is it. The true king and priest are coming, and it's time to prepare the way for them. Um, Because in ancient culture, um, we see it in ancient Roman culture too, that, that when a person of power, like a king or a high priest, when they were coming, they would send messengers ahead of them to prepare the people for their arrival. And they would call this good news, they would call this the gospel. And so the word gospel had been around even before Jesus had come around. And so God gives John revelation and says, That's you, you're the messenger. You're the prophet who will prepare the way for the true king and priest, the Messiah. And then John enters the scene. Man, you skip two verses, and then you're like, what is going on? But once you have that little bit of information, it opens up the whole story for you. Isn't that amazing? Okay, but listen, how did John know his moment had arrived? How did John know that it was time... To leave the wilderness and enter the public scene to start his ministry. Some of you are asking that in your lives right now. How do I know this is it? And you might think, well, he received revelation from God. God gives us revelation all the time. And we still ask, is this my moment? Is that really you, God? So, how did John know? How do we know? Well, we learned three things from John just in these two verses, and I want to share those with you. And so if you're taking notes, here's the, the point time. Uh, the message is not pointless today. Uh, first, he was, first point is this. He was tuned in to the voice of God. Right. Go ahead and write that down. He was tuned in to the voice of God. He was so focused on God that when God spoke, John heard his voice, and he came running, and he was ready to go. Okay, church family, this is why beholding, our theme for the whole year, is so important. Um, I liken it to how my dogs uh, behold me. Okay, bear with me for just a moment, all right? Uh, I have two dogs, Harper and Hattie, many of you have met them, um, and they are infatuated with me, okay? Because I'm the alpha. Now, I don't say that to like, boost my ego or anything that's just the way it is I'm 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 the alpha um, dog in the house that doesn't make it any better um, but I'm the alpha and because they are so infatuated with me and behold me if I'm home they are focused on me at all times it's actually pretty annoying if you think about it um, they follow me around if I get up to move to another room they'll perk up I'm like where's he going do I need to follow them. What's going on? Is something happening right now? Right? <laughs> and all I have to do is whistle. That's my whistle for them. And even if they're all the way outside, they will come running through the door. Okay? Um, they are so beholden to me because they know that I'm the alpha. I'm their source. I feed them. I give them water. I take them to the groomers. I love on them. I, I, I pep them and play with them. Okay? and we are called to behold God the same way Harper and Hattie behold me, right? Listen, isn't God our alpha? Isn't God our omega? Isn't God our source? Don't we look to him for provision and satisfaction in life? If that's true for you, and you behold God in this way, then when he speaks, I promise you, you're going to hear his voice and you're going to come running. Even if you're out in the wilderness, you're going to hear him and you're going to come running. And so John was that tuned in to the father's voice. That's the first point. Second point is that he was removed from distractions. He was removed from distractions, unnecessary distractions. Um, John lived in the wilderness, away from people, away from the happenings of of the city around him. Um, I don't think it was because he was antisocial or or introverted. Um, I think it's because he knew he was made for a really important moment in salvation history. I mean, he was filled with the Holy Spirit while he was still in the womb. His father sung songs about him, how he would prepare the way for the Messiah, And so he removed himself from distractions so that he wouldn't miss his moment. True or false, we lived in a world of distractions. So many people and things constantly begging for our attention, right? Our phones going off with notifications at all times of the day saying, look at me, look at me. Advertisements on the radio, TV, even billboards and signs on the street saying, look at me, look at me right social media news media all media saying look at me give me your attention some of you are getting stressed out just by me saying all of that right <laughs> okay but listen they're all just distractions that if we don't remove ourselves from them they'll cause us they can cause us to miss our moment because if we're tuned into them then we're not tuned in to him we're not tuned into the voice of god listen some of you are waiting, and you are looking for your moment from God. I know it. Okay, but you're so distracted by these other things that even if your moment did arrive, I'm afraid that you'd miss it. Okay? You're so glued to, to a small screen that's only six inches wide, or maybe it's a 65-inch wide screen, but you're missing the bigger, grander picture of God's purpose for your life that he wants to show you, that he wants to give you, right? so, Some of you are waiting for these really big moments in life. Some of you are waiting for your spouse. We got a lot of singles in our, in our house this morning, right? Some of you are waiting for your calling. Like, God, what do you want me to do next? Okay, some of you are waiting for, for answered prayer. You're waiting for God to move in some mighty and miraculous way. But if you don't remove yourself from distractions, you're going to miss your moment. Uh, the biggest tragedy in life for, uh, for a Christian, I think, is, is not when they miss a moment because of sin in their life. Okay, that is tragic, and that's awful. Uh, sin kept Cain and King Saul and the nation of Israel from their moments. But what's even m- more tragic, I think, is when someone is following Jesus. Okay, they're resisting temptation and sin, they're going to church, getting plugged into community, but they miss their moment because they're distracted by something dumb and meaningless. It happens. It happens. Fathers, don't miss your moments with your children because of some show or video game or something on the television or some hobby that you need to devote your time to. Mothers, don't miss your moments with your children because you're distracted comparing yourself to another mom on Instagram and TikTok when they're having moments with their children. I could go on, but, but I think you get the point. Do you want to embrace the moments that God has for you, church family? Yeah. Then you have to remove yourself from those unnecessary and meaningless distractions in your life. Uh, the wilderness is often seen as a bad place. You've heard people say, oh, I'm in the wilderness right now. I'm going through the wilderness, Pastor Kai. It doesn't have to be a bad place. John willingly went into the wilderness because he knew he wouldn't be distracted and he'd hear the voice of God better. I'm going to go on a retreat with other pastors. It's called the Desert Father's Trip or something in March. And and the point is, we're going to be away from people. We're going to be in silence and solitude camping just so we can hear the voice of God. I'm really looking forward to it. Okay, I think we all need more wilderness in our lives. I think we all need more silence and solitude in our lives, so that we can tune in to the voice of God better and embrace our moment when it does finally come. Do you hear what I'm saying, church family? Right. Tune into the voice of God. Remove yourself from unnecessary distractions. And the third thing we learn from John is that he was situationally aware. He was situationally aware. Yes, John was removed from distractions, away from the happenings of the city, but that doesn't mean he was clueless about the world around him. Okay, John was very aware of what was happening in the world around him. I mean, there's this political scandal happening in Galilee where the ruler, Herod Antipas, he's involved in an incestuous affair. Okay, that would definitely make the headlines today, wouldn't it? Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, And we learn that John, he wasn't ignorant about it, but he was aware that this was happening, and he spoke up about it. Right. Right? He publicly called out Herod and said, dude, you're living in sin. Repent. Turn back to God. That's, that's yucky. Stop it. Right? And his situational awareness allowed him, on top of that, to see how God was setting the stage uh, for the kingly and priestly Messiah by clearing the stage so that there was no king and priest in Israel. He paid attention. He kept his ears and his eyes open so that when God said, it's go time, John, he understood why. He was able to put the pieces together and he recognized this is my moment. Now, there's a difference between being situationally aware of what's happening in the world and being distracted by what's happening in the world. All right, while in, in the Air Force, and if you've been in the military before, you're you know, going through it right now, um, situational awareness was drilled into our minds every single day. Okay, they would say remain vigilant, be situationally aware of your surroundings. Okay, because if you're deployed to a combat zone and you see something that looks out of place, um, maybe it's a, an oddly situated uh, bag or a, or a package, you need to be aware that that very well could be an IED, an improvised explosive device placed there by an enemy. Now, it could just be a bag or a package, but if you ignore it and you get too close to it and it turns out to be an IED, that's a bad day. Very bad day, right? But if you are situationally aware and you take the necessary steps to determine if it is a real threat or not, then it could save your life and the life of those around you. And if we recognize something out, uh, out of place, um, then, then we were trained to call the professionals, uh, the EOD, the Explosive Ordnance uh, Disposal Experts to come and check it out. And here's the, here's the point of that. Um, they would come in and do their job so that we could keep doing our job, okay? And that's the difference between being situationally aware and distracted. Situationally aware means recognizing a problem, but not being so distracted by it so that you're able to keep doing your job. Distracted is when you recognize a problem, but then you get obsessed about the problem, you start researching the problem, checking out what the news says about the problem, every single moment of the day, every day, it occupies your thoughts and even your conversations, and it starts to affect the rest of your life. That's not being situationally aware. That's being distracted. You see the difference? And John was situationally aware of what was going on in the world. He knew what was happening politically, socially, and culturally in the world, but he wasn't distracted by it. How do we know? He kept doing his job. His job was to call God's people to repentance from sin. And even with this situation with Herod and this incestuous affair, uh, he didn't take it upon himself to try and get Herod removed from office. Right? He didn't organize an anti-Herod movement. He simply did his job. Hey, Herod, you're sinning. You need to repent of your sin. You need to turn back to God. And then he moved on and he kept doing his job calling other people to repentance. Again, do you see the difference? We need, church family, to be situationally aware of what's happening in the world so that we can do what we're called to do as followers of Jesus, which is point people to the true king of kings and Lord of lords, which is to show people that they can have forgiveness, they can have eternal life, right? They can have meaning and purpose in this life, if they give their life to Jesus and accept him as their Lord and Savior. But if we get distracted and obsessed with what's happening in the world, it's going to keep us from doing our jobs. Um, It's going to cause us to miss really important moments. So church family, be situationally aware. Know what's happening in the world, socially, politically, culturally. Don't ignore the news because it makes you feel uncomfortable or stressed out. All right? We can't just sit here and wait, like, please, Jesus, come. Like, close our eyes. Don't look at anything else. Please, Jesus, just come. We can't do that, right? I would even say we need to be situationally aware so that we can make good decisions when it comes to voting for our elected officials and so we can be active in in making our world a better place to live in. We, We need to be this, right? But don't get so sucked in that it becomes a distraction and prevents you from seeing the bigger, eternal, heavenly and more hopeful kingdom picture that God wants us to see right you you don't need to check the news every day I'm I'm telling myself this all right Right. you don't need to check the news every single day I promise you Kai you will be okay I'm just talking to myself I don't think anybody else deals with that right (laughs) right there's a difference between being informed and obsessed There's a big difference. Be informed, but not obsessed. Be situationally aware so that you can speak into the areas of people's lives where they are losing hope. And so that we can show them that there is hope in our King Jesus. So John, he knew his moment had come because he tuned into the voice of God. He was removed from unnecessary distractions, and he was situationally aware of what was happening in the world. And church family, this is how we can know when our moments have arrived too. Tune into the voice of God. Remove yourself from unnecessary distractions from your life. Be situationally aware so that you can see your moment and do what God wants you to do in that moment. I'm going to end with this. Um, We're going to have to do a part two next week of knowing your moment. We still have 18 verses that we have to go through. Um, Because what we learn from the rest of this passage is that there's a lot more to knowing your moment than what we've talked about today. Uh, And we'll talk about that next week. And so you gotta come back. I've got you hooked, okay? That's what that's called. It's the hook. Um, So come back next week, and and we'll talk more about that. Um, But let me give you um, a personal experience from my own life of how I almost missed my moment. Because you can miss your moment. And remember, at at the beginning when I said that I knew becoming the pastor of CCA was, was one of those God ordained moments in my life. um, But I didn't come to that understanding right away. It took a little bit of time and it took me at first saying no to that moment. All right. Um, Because when pastor Dave, our founding pastor, uh, when he asked us if we would take over as the pastors, we said, thanks, but no thanks. Um, I haven't asked him, but I'm guessing that after that moment, uh, I don't know if he was nervous or worried or or whatnot, but I'm sure he prayed a lot that God would just work things out, um, and God did take care of things. Because God started to work on me after I said no. Uh, And he started to show me the montage of my life up until that moment. And I realized that, that God took me through these three things that we've just talked about today that allowed me to know that this was my moment. Because as I was finishing up my time in the Air Force, um, I, I consciously was like, "I need to to hear from God in this moment." Big transition, and so I started to tune in to the voice of God. I knew I needed to go back to college and 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 finish up my degree, get a degree, and so I started praying and seeking God, asking, "What's next, God? What do you want me to do? What degree do you want me to pursue?" I was really open uh, and tried to tune into God's voice. So I would do whatever he wanted me to do. And and, and Annette, my wife, she was tuning into the voice of God during that time too. At the same time, I was also removed from unnecessary distractions. I had some time, about four months, between separating from the Air Force and restarting college. Uh, And during that time, we had saved enough money to where I didn't have to to work right away. Um, We didn't have kids yet. Uh, I didn't have any other extra obligations during that time. And so I was removed from distractions, and I was able to tune into the voice of God. Now, let me just say that if you have kids and you have a job, those are not unnecessary distractions. (laughs) Those are necessary distractions, and you can still hear from God and tune into his voice, all right? All right. Just for me during that time, I didn't have those that required my uh, full attention, okay? Get that out of the way. Um, And it was in that season of tuning into the voice of God and removing myself from unnecessary distractions that I heard God clearly say, pursue a degree in creative writing. All right, that's a longer story than I can give you today, but this was definitely another God moment, and it was... um, It wasn't a direction that I was expecting to go, but I heard and I listened and I pursued a degree in creative writing, even though even in the moment I wasn't sure what God was doing and why he wanted me to do that. All right, fast forward about two years. I'm about to graduate with my degree. It's another one of those transitional seasons where Annette and I were trying to tune into God's voice. We're asking him, what does he want us to do next? We're even thinking like, do you want us to move to another state? Do we need to go do something different? But this time, I wasn't as removed from those distractions in my life. Um, Our life had gotten a lot busier while I was in college. I was going to school full-time, trying to finish as quickly as I could, while working part-time on top of that. Um, We had a two-year-old son, a necessary distraction, but a distraction nonetheless. Uh, We were active in in ministry at church, and I had made up in my mind that I was going to go into the marketplace after college. I wanted to make a lot of money so that I could be generous, because the world says you can't be generous unless you make a lot of money, (laughs) okay? So I was distracted by that vision I had created for my life, and then about a month before graduation, our pastor breaks the news to us. We're moving away to a new ministry opportunity, and we want you to take over, And because I knew pastors don't make a lot of money, and therefore I wasn't going to be able to be generous, as the world says, I said, thanks, but no thanks. But then God started to work on me, and he helped me in that moment become situationally aware of everything he had been doing in my life up until that moment. I knew all the way back in junior high that God had called me to pastoral ministry, I knew I was going to need a a good Christian wife to minister with alongside as a pastor, and he gave me that wonderful woman and my my wife, Annette. And then God showed me why he led me to CCA, this little house church that started at the university. He was giving me the opportunity to to cut my teeth on on ministry, so to speak. He was equipping and, and training me all along the way. He showed me why he told me to pursue this creative writing degree that I'd never even thought of because I was gonna use that skill every single week to write sermons to point people to Jesus. In that moment, I was now situationally aware of what God had been doing this entire time. And by tuning into God's voice, by removing myself from those unnecessary distractions, although imperfectly, and by being situationally aware, I saw, I knew, this was my moment. And what's awesome is that God was, a leading, was leading Annette through that very same process, but separately. I didn't know it at the time until I went to her, and I was like, Annette, I think, I think God's saying we need to change our mind and, and go back and say, yes, we want to pursue this. She's like, yeah, I know. <laughs> right? God, God's been telling me the same thing. I was like, well, how long were you going to wait to tell me that? <laughs> See, whenever like, sin happens, we like to blame other people. Anyways. Um, Yeah, I know, we need to pursue this thing. Um, God's been telling me the same thing. And listen, the almost eight years, it'll be eight years this month of being your pastor have been the greatest moments of my life. I'm not joking. Like, I, I look, like I had a pretty good life growing up, but these eight years as your pastor have been the greatest moments of my life. I've been more generous in different ways, not making a lot of money, but still being generous. Again, I'm not trying to boast in myself. I'm just trying to show you, like, it doesn't have to be that way. These have been the best years of my life. And to think, I almost missed it. Church family, God has ordained and predetermined many moments for every single one of us in this room. Moments where he wants to use us for his glory and the good of those around us. Moments when God wants to empower us to further his kingdom. Moments that will ultimately lead us into some of the greatest seasons of of our our life. And God, through his word and, and through the example of John the Baptist in this moment, he's saying, if you will behold me, if you will tune into my voice, if you will remove yourself from unnecessary distractions, If you'll be situationally aware, then you'll know when those moments have arrived. And listen, my hope in in sharing this message isn't that you'd be worried or concerned or afraid or discouraged that you've missed your moment. That's not why I'm sharing this. Honestly, if you've missed it, you can't do anything about it. Okay? Okay? My hope is that you would forget what lies behind and press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus on your life, like we talked about last week with Paul. Press on. My hope is that you would right here, right now, take the positive and good steps of tuning into the voice of God, removing yourself from unnecessary distractions and being situationally aware so that you can see and know and seize the moments that God has for you because he absolutely, church family, has amazing moments for every single one of you in this room. Church family, what are you beholding and what are you becoming?
0: Thank you for listening. If you were blessed by this episode and would like to help us create and share more content that magnifies and multiplies Jesus, Would you consider giving a financial gift of any amount today? Whatever you give will go towards building the kingdom of God in the lives of people all over the world. Thank you for your support, and we pray many blessings over you.